Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how are you doing? Doing good, man. Uh, I was just drinking and chilling with my German friends and I'm feeling quite buzzed. Ready to do this intro. Ready to, <laughs> ready to come out of this very contentious uh, POV crypto podcast episode. This was a really, really good one. Uh, Christian has put me up against a number of Bitcoiners in the past. And so I pull in two Ethereans at the same time. So it was, it was a three versus one versus Christian. Christian, I'm actually pretty proud of uh, how you did. I, I was I was a big fan of, of your points. And I actually wanted to bring up, uh, it actually made me feel uh, as if I was much more well-versed in Bitcoin than I thought I was previously because, you know, Ryan or Eric would bring up some point and be like, oh, here's what is Christian, here's what Christian is going to say. And I would also be able to say like, okay, here's when I actually agree with him versus what, uh, what Ryan or Eric said. So I actually felt very in the middle of, of this whole debate. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this whole time, like you are the most Bitcoiner, Ethereum, I know. So that's why you're here, right? Um, there's, no, there's no coincidence that it's because I've been on POV crypto and I've been talking to other Bitcoiners. Like this, it's part of the whole POV brand. So if you want to get both sides of the argument, you got to listen to POV. That's 100%. And this episode is no exception. But before we get into all of that, let's talk about our sponsors. The first one being the Fantastic Realty. David, why don't you give us the lowdown? Yeah, we've had a really awesome week at Realty. Uh, Realty, we just announced that uh, we're issuing our first flagship property, 9943 Pro- uh, Marlowe, the property that will be burned into my brain forever. Uh, we just issued it on top of Uniswap. And so uh, people who are on our whitelist because we are a KYC company, we're centralized uh we are a centralized real estate tokenization property. If you are on our whitelist, you can go to uh, Uniswap and buy our property, which is pretty cool. Uh, we are the first security token on top of Uniswap ever. Uh, I saw Matt O'Dell uh, retweet the Realty thread saying, a vision into the future KYC of, of, of Ethereum. And I was like, dude, there's like 1,500 tokens on top of Uniswap and we are the first security token ever. So like calm your horses. Anyways, uh, it is pretty cool that we are the first security token on top of Uniswap. And the reason why we can do this is because like all we have to do is whitelist Uniswap onto our whitelist and then boom, all of our investors have Uniswap as a vehicle that they could trade through. Um, But if you haven't heard of Realty, we're a tokenized real estate agency and you can go and buy tokens that represent uh, properties in uh, for now Detroit, but in the future, the rest of the world. Um, so go check us out at realty.co. We pay rent in Dai every 24 hours. Uh, the first company, first real estate company to ever do this, enabled by blockchain, enabled by Ethereum. Uh, so, I mean, even if you are a U.S. investor, go to realty.co and, and check us out because we got some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it's been really amazing watching David build out realty. Um, like, practice what you preach and David is definitely doing it. And it's, it's incredible just kind of seeing someone who's in the ETH DeFi space, really trying to apply those primitives to a business model. And I think Realty is the first uh, company I've seen that is like really, really well bridged the gap between like the 
the DeFi ethos and DeFi, and then and then like yeah, doing something that is more traditional security token. Um, I mean, in, in terms of like what I think from an investment perspective, I don't know exactly what is going to be the right formula, but in terms of like cutting edge, um, figuring it out, bleeding, just kind of figuring out what what is possible, like totally incredible stuff and I'm, I'm proud to uh to be working with david proud to be sponsored by realty um really incredible stuff and speaking of another company that has really been pushing the edge our second sponsor etoro um etoro since i think uh what 2014 has been pushing the edge on crypto and then uh even before that they have been pushing the edge on bringing kind of u.s assets to international clients and now they're bringing crypto products to the u.s it's almost kind of crazy how backward it is but um (laughs) here we are living in the u.s and we need international companies to bring the cutting edge to us but over at etoro you can find it at bt.tc backslash etoro pov um you can get the most cutting edge crypto products possible if you want to invest in a diversified portfolio one click away. If you want to track your favorite trader, one click away. If you want to just stack sats, one click away. Every single crypto strategy is one click away on eToro. Um, again, really proud that these guys have been really pushing the narrative, been funding crypto and Bitcoin education for a long time. Just an incredible company, a company that has been very, uh, very cutting edge since the get go. I'm very proud to have them as a sponsor. Please follow them. Please join the the application. You can buy your crypto at eToro. Please use the link b.tc backslash eToro POV. But without further ado, let's talk about this podcast. Um, This was a fun one. This was the first three-on-one Bitcoin versus Ethereum podcast. Um, It was a fun time. David, why don't you give us a breakdown? Yeah, so I initially wanted to bring Eric and Ryan on to talk about how Ethereum is a economic system that models traditional economic systems. And so we talked about that for about four minutes, but then it turned into an Ethereum versus Bitcoin debate for about one hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I kind of just let it go. Uh, I mean, I got what I wanted out of the episode. And then, and then we talked about the the classic stuff of why everyone comes to POV to, to listen to debates uh and so um it, it was it was actually pretty much exactly what i wanted it to be uh christian goes toe to toe with two people two two ethereum like sorry two ethereum gargantuans like eric connor and ryan sean adams at once dual wielding against two of our biggest memers uh and, and christian you you did pretty well I mean, I have to admit, I did study up quite a bit, especially on Ryan. Ryan is a uh, is a master at rhetoric, so he he's really good at putting you up against the wall. So I had to just kind of find those those weak spots and at least try not to uh, to fold too easily uh, to to hit the rhetoric. But generally speaking, I really respect both these guys. Both these guys have strong positions, and um, you know have have no apologies in, in, in pushing their positions and spreading education and trying to to uh, teach people about Ethereum and about their their perspective. 
um, and and they are worthy worthy foes uh, in, in debate in general. So uh, I'm honored and, and blessed to have been able to to chat with them. And speaking of an honorable thing to do um, for your fellow man, uh, I want to talk about our Mo's. If you're watching on the if you're watching this on YouTube, you can tell that I have quite the mustache, and mm-hmm. David is is rocking quite the beard. Uh, this is November, of course, and and we're trying to support men across the globe, from Ethereum maxless men to Bitcoin maxless men to God, even even no coiner men. We're here. We're here to support them, and we we've come up with a pretty creative way to do that in the most POV fashion possible. David, why don't you hit us with it? Yeah. So because all of crypto is basically an audience of ninety percent men, we uh, figured that this is particularly relevant, uh, and so we've come up with a little game, just like Christian said, in perfect POV fashion. And so we have uh, two addresses in our show notes and in our Medium article. One of them is uh, pov.eth, and the other one is a long list of characters and numbers that you guys are just going to have to copy and paste, which is a Bitcoin address. Uh, And so there's a Bitcoin address and there's an Ethereum address. And so donate as much Ether or DAI or money to the Ethereum address as you see fit. Donate as much BTC to the Bitcoin address as you see fit. And so obviously I represent the Ethereum address and Christian represents the Bitcoin address and whichever address has the least amount of uh, funds donated, US dollar funds donated to it at the end of November, the loser will have to match the losing amount of funds. And so if Ethereum takes in $500 and Bitcoin takes in $300, roughly about how much I expect it to, Uh, Christian will have to donate $300 of his own money uh, in order to match the losing amount of funds to go to uh, Movember. And so we have not yet picked the charity, but we're going to. We're going to pick the best one. We're going to figure it out over the next 25 days. But that's how this competition works. So donate your DAI, donate your ETH to povcrypto.eth. I don't know what the Bitcoin address is because it's a really long, confusing string of letters. Yeah, so go in the show notes, copy that Bitcoin address. If you want, drop uh, drop it at CK underscore snarks to just send me the BTC. But regardless, what we're trying to do is raise as much possible, as much money possible for uh, for men's health, for prostate cancer, and you know, at the same time, we're gonna gauge how much of this audience audience is a BTC audience versus how much of this audience is an ETH audience. So. If you're a Bitcoiner, donate some BTC. If you're an Ethereum, donate whatever the hell you consider money. <laughs> Just donate. It's for a good cause. You're representing whoever you represent. Let's go. Tell them about Let's your girlfriend. Let's get into this podcast. Let's get into this podcast. If we didn't do this, my girlfriend would not let me have this beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. mo. So however much money I lose, it's because I wanted this mo and I wanted mm-hmm. to do it on camera. Mm-hmm. Look at this thing, like mm-hmm. fucking Mario. Yeah. If you guys aren't watching us on YouTube and you can't see these mustaches and beards, you guys are huge losers. So go to our YouTube channel, uh, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. I can't Losers. believe I'm saying this, but I'm a YouTuber now. Smash that fucking <laughs> like button. Smash it. <laughs> All right. Let's just get into this fucking episode. Ryan Sean Adams, fucking Eric Connor, David Hoffman, Christian Corollis. POV Crypto, let's go. 
Eric Connor, Ryan Sean Adams, welcome to POV Crypto. Thanks guys for, for coming on. Yeah, I'm pumped to be here. Hey, super excited. Ryan, this is your third episode on POV Crypto and Eric, this is your first. Uh, so let's, let's start with you, Eric. Let's give a, like a maybe 60 seconds, two minute background as to who you are, your beginnings in crypto and what you are now doing in crypto. Yeah, for sure. I guess I'll first say I'm, a, I'm definitely a fan of the podcast. So thanks for finally having me on. Um, you know, it's a pleasure to be here. But yeah, I guess just quick background. I've been in, in the Ethereum space kind of since the beginning. You know, I always kind of tell the story. So it's older this time. But I, I once tried to start a decentralized exchange back in 2014 called EtherX. It was uh, way too early for DEX back then. It probably is still too early almost these days. But um, about a year and a half ago, myself and Anthony Sassano started ETHUB and, you know, just kind of since then just been diving in on ETHUB and we started the Into the Ether podcast and I'm now working full-time at Gnosis on the, on the product team. So just kind of enjoying working with that team and, and building stuff there and, you know, just Twitter, obviously fighting the trolls, all that good stuff. So just kind of full-time crypto, I guess is how I would put it. And how do you feel about ETHUB and how it fits into the world of Ethereum? What is the ETH hub puzzle piece in the larger picture of Ethereum? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we started it, the kind of basis of it was there was no one kind of, we actually kind of originally started to fight misinformation. It's kind of evolved into what we think is kind of the educational and also marketing resource for Ethereum. So you can kind of go there. If you've never heard about Ethereum, you could Google it and say, what is Ethereum? You can kind of start at the top page and move your way down. All of a sudden, you know about staking and the plans for ETH2, right? Um, and then kind of we use it as well to just teach people about Ethereum and you know why we think it's important. And that's kind of more the Twitter and social aspect of it. But there was just not this resource out there definitely not from Ethereum.org or any of that stuff that kind of presented Ethereum in a way that people, I would put normal people, quote unquote, or people outside of the space could go and just take it in in biteable chunks. Eric, uh, I've definitely been on on, uh, on ETHUB a bunch and have actually listened to your podcast quite a bit myself just to kind of prepare for uh, our own Ethereum guests over here. So you guys are a really great resource and uh, kind of what you guys are doing with, uh, with ETHUB reminds me a little bit of what Pierre and Michael um, did with uh, really Christian. impressive amounts of- Christian, we lost you for about 30 seconds. Bummer. I was pretty much saying that, that his, uh, his resource is incredible and uh, he's very prolific. So keep up the good work, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like, I feel like this could fit into any crypto community, like just putting out information that is not there. And, you know, I would say that we kind of fell into this niche or this rabid following that we actually never expected. Uh, it kind of turned into this marketing, like tornado that we never expected was there. But clearly, we just kind of hit a, uh, a nerve in the market. And I think, you know, this could be filled. There's other ways it could be filled in Ethereum, Bitcoin, all these different places. I think education is kind of a neglected spot for sure. Speaking of uh, hitting a nerve in Ethereum, I, I feel like, uh, Ryan, you could also speak to that with what you're doing at Bankless. So uh, let's turn to Ryan. Ryan, will you give our listeners a little bit of a background and what you're doing in Ethereum? Yeah, I, I think you guys keep having me on because Christian likes me so much. So um, <laughs> thanks, Christian. I appreciate it, man. Um, yeah, so uh, crypto investor, you know, crypto rabbit hole, uh, similar story uh, in in many ways. I um, recently, a couple weeks, a couple months ago now, I started a, a program called Bankless, and this is really responding to uh, a need I saw to um, also 
talk a bit more to the community about open finance, um, specifically have an educational resource that uh, folks can turn to so that they can like on a weekly basis, uh, look, you know, learn how to level up. There is a small but growing group of uh, money protocol crypto users, um, people who are starting to do more with, with crypto than just hold, um, starting to explore some of the other, you know, what I'll call money verbs like lending, uh, like borrowing, like actually, you know, spending. Um, and, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of gather this group together and, and sort of go on the journey that, um, that I've been on. Uh, with the group. So that's really what Bankless does. Um, and uh, been really excited with um, with kind of the community that, that we built up in a, in a short time. Um, it's folks that are actually like using, using these money protocols, using DAI. Um, the mission is, is to become as, as bankless as possible. So the idea being that, um, you know, over time, uh, you start to use crypto money more and more, your net worth, you know, um, converts into, into crypto, uh, over time you, you need your bank account less and you're relying on, on things like your ETH address more. So, um, that's been pretty cool to watch the progression there and, and the community build up. Yeah. Ryan, I have to give you mad props because the bankless community is, is one of the big reasons why I come to discord all the time. Uh, the, the community that you've driven there to your discord channel is really, really active. So if, uh, any listener is looking for a home to go and interact and engage with other people who are also uh, interested in becoming bankless, uh, I definitely recommend Ryan's discord channel being, uh, quote unquote bankless was one of the big uh, reasons why I always wanted to come to crypto and, and why my family thinks I'm crazy for, you know, emptying out my Wells Fargo account every single, every single month, you know, paying off my credit cards, paying off everything, and then moving all my funds to, to crypto, uh, just because I want to live that life. And so, uh, I, you're also teaching other people to do that with me. Uh, so tip of the hat to you, sir. That's actually a great bridge to transition to what I kind of want this episode to be about. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping the main course, in addition to many other topics, we talk about, uh, how Ethereum is recreating a traditional finance system but using, using code. Uh, and so in, in the, the nation state uh, economic system, we have uh, the government which collects taxes, we have the bond market which um, provides trust to the government, provides like a kind of a credit layer to the government. The bond market determines how much um, credit the government can, can issue. And then, um, uh, and then there's taxes. So you have like the, 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 the bond market, the, the IRS and the government as these three kind of pillars of what makes up um, at least in with the examples I use, the U.S. financial system, but really any financial system. And so, so we kind of see, uh, I kind of see Ethereum as kind of recreating this same system um, using staking, using uh, transaction fees, um, and using like a store of value money, Ether, uh, to kind of recreate these three pillars. Uh, and and the, the main topic, uh, in, in addition to the main topic, I also want to talk about EIP-1559 because to me, that kind of really recreate, like cements that that triad into into this system. 
that is a recreation of traditional finance. So um, Ryan, let's start with you. Like, do, is that what you see? Do you kind of see what I see with when it comes to Ethereum as a financial system? Yeah, totally. You know, I've often thought about um, Ethereum as, as really um, an economy, you know, and what, one, one fourth pillar I might add there is, um, is security. Um, part of the role of a, a nation state and a government is to provide security for the nation state and, and for the government. In fact, um, that, that's probably a, a role of um, the entire uh, monetary and economic system. And it's part of the reason that the U.S. collects taxes is uh, to fund uh, security, nation-state security. Part of the reason it pursues economic interest is, is that as well. Um, and I think that's true of, of crypto networks like Ethereum. You know, it, it's the goal of its monetary policy and even its uh, supply schedule, its issu issuance schedule, is to secure the network and to provide um, the maximal amount of security uh, it can for the resources it has. So yeah, I mean, I think that that paradigm definitely works. And um, I actually think that in some respects, and I know Christian will agree with me, that um, Ethereum has... Um, like a monetary policy that uh, might provide more security than Bitcoin in the long run through things like EIP fifteen uh, five nine and others. I'm not sure if you're just trying to troll me. <laughs> <laughs> so part I mean, of this conversation I wanted to to have is to juxtapose it to Bitcoin. So Ethereum is trying to create this elaborate financial system where Bitcoiners and, and Bitcoin at large is trying to do a comparable thing, which is have this system run by code that might achieve the same ends, but in a much more simple way. Um, does that ring true for you, Christian? I mean, I don't, I don't think that that framing is necessarily accurate. I don't think like, that's like saying like Bitcoiners want everything on Ethereum to happen on Bitcoin. Like, no, I mean, I don't think that they want mm. all that stuff, right? Um, I think Bitcoiners are, are bit, the, the people working on developing Bitcoin are trying to create a sound money system um, that is permissionless and um, is consistent and robust and that can be plugged into however people want to use it uh, we're seeing a lot of applications already of bitcoin as program programmable permissionless money um, reward points um, lots of different apps are providing these kind of reward point systems um, that are rewarding people with bitcoin and that looks like a clear use case um, that's just one of many that are kind of emerging um, in the so I think, I think, yeah, that was maybe a mischaracterization of, of what I meant to say, whereas um, Bitcoin is trying to make unobject, uh, unsubjective, like totally objective money, uh, and, and that's it, and let new things be built on top of that money, um, where Ethereum is trying to build a, a objective code-run um, economy, and then let that uh, applications and businesses both autonomous applications and, you know, traditional businesses build on top of that economy rather than the money. Uh, so I, I, I personally see it as two strategies to more or less achieve comparable things that still ultimately result in, in different worlds as a result of what the base layer actually looks like. I think a lot of it is semantics, right? Um, and I, I recently watched a talk from Andreas Antonopoulos where he said that everything is going to merge together and he sees lightning doing that. And then the guys from Radar Relay uh, today just released a, a new application um, that essentially merges, uh, that like combines Lightning with Ethereum. And it makes it so you can do like some similar to like a submarine swap um, with Ethereum into 
Bitcoin on Lightning. So uh, I, I totally see the kind of all the chains mixing to some degree. Now the question is like, what's the best thing to invest in? Uh, clearly, in my opinion, it's Bitcoin, but um, you guys would definitely agree disagree with that. So uh, I think you know we can kind of talk about why you guys think ETH um, can stand up to Bitcoin in terms of being a money. I think that's what this is about, right? I almost don't really see Ethereum and Bitcoin as competitors, if I'm being honest. I, I guess when it comes to trying to become like the digital money of the internet, potentially, but you know, I, at least how I've seen the two communities settle in is, you know, Bitcoin's kind of going towards this more digital gold narrative, um, kind of, you know, pretty hardcore into the idea of a cap and and that kind of thing. And you know, I think one of the big things Ethereum has kind of changed up in the last few years or so and kind of taken upon themselves is this idea of minimum viable issuance, right? So, you know, there's definitely a clear divide in the two communities when it comes to how do we issue coins and, you know, what are the narratives around that? Bitcoin has taken a fairly hard stance on 21 million Bitcoin, that's all there ever be. And, you know, that's it, right? Like we think we're hard money. We think we're digital gold because of scarce scarcity. And, you know, that's going to be the cap. Um, now to get there, you know, well, first of all, I guess I'll caveat this with saying, and it's not that unknown to people probably listening to this. I don't believe in that strategy, but, you know, the idea is eventually fees could pay for block rewards to secure the network, right? That's the theory. Because right now, I think fees maybe take up five percent of minor take or something like that so eventually fees would have to be high enough and to get there you would need the price rise or more demand and all that stuff on the flip side ethereum's kind of taken this stance of the ethereum community has taken this stance of hey we don't necessarily think that fees are going to pay in the long term so we're okay with a small amount of issuance to secure the network now it, I think it's just going to take really years to watch this play out in honesty. I don't think we're going to like determine a winner of, of which of this is right, you know, tomorrow, like that's not going to happen. This is going to take 10, 15 years. And, you know, I think both communities have kind of taken their stance there. Does there have to be one digital money? No. Like I, I think that there could be multiple. I, I kind of think long-term, maybe there'll just be one proof of work chain and one proof of stake chain. And that's it. I'm not a believer in kind of this multi-coin universe. Like I think two or maybe three would tap it out there. Um, you know, I have pretty strong opinions that I think the minimum viable issuance way is to go about it. And I think the way the Bitcoin community go is wrong. Um, I think they're going to have to change and eventually put in some kind of issuance, but you know, a slight inflation rate, as long as it's kind of known throughout time, isn't the worst thing in the world, right? So it's going to be interesting to watch these. Like, we're all kidding ourselves if we say today we know which is going to win, right? That's like the dominant digital currency of the future. But it's just really interesting to watch these two, two communities kind of take different viewpoints and, and kind of watch how this all plays out over time. Totally. And I know that Ryan wants to jump in, but I just want to ask one kind of question. And my main criticism of like the uncertainty towards Bitcoin's block reward is the time frame right like when when is the ha when is the having going to really start to hurt bitcoin security in terms of this like nightmare scenario um i feel like a lot of critics aren't super clear like when's that gonna happen is that gonna be in 50 years is that gonna be in 15 years kind of like you alluded um i i just think that that's something that i'd like to hear a little bit more about 
Yeah, I guess I'll start there, Ryan, and then let you jump in. But I, I think it's going to be as soon as six years. So we're about a year away from the happening, and then we're another four from the next one. We're going to cut, you know, our Bitcoin will cut issuance by 80% by then. I think that's when you're going to have to start at least thinking about it. Now, you know, obviously it depends on where Bitcoin price is. Like if Bitcoin price is half of what it is today, then you have to start worrying about it much sooner, right? Because like it all depends on price. And this is where I joke, you know, with you, Christian, like proof of hopium, right? Like I personally don't like basing the future security model off price rises because that's a huge factor in it. And like I once wrote a blog post about EIP-1234 about lowering the Ethereum block reward from three to two, which ended up going into the protocol and kind of judged in there like, you know, a, a minor take versus security policy. And it's just hard. Like the one unknown factor is price, right? Like I could sit here and say, yeah, I think it's going to be a problem in six years. Well, I mean, Bitcoin could go up a hundred times in six years. It could go down 10 times from here in six years. Like it's just hard to know, right? So um, you know, it's really tough to say when is that going to be a problem? If price stayed flat as it is today, I would say in six years it's going to be a problem because miners are going to start being at a loss. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree like with that as an estimate, Eric. Like it could be six years, it could be it could be 12 years, it could be a bit longer. But the the, the issue with, with Bitcoin and its current monetary policy and issuance schedule that, that, that it can't really get around is that it is... Uh, moving from a security model that is based on its digital gold narrative, which is its core strength, I think we'd all agree, uh, to a security model that is based on pure Bitcoin block space demand, right? Like, and those are two totally separate markets. There is a market for, uh, I want Bitcoin as a store of value digital gold, right? Um, and then there's a market for, I actually want to um, buy some block space to uh, transact that Bitcoin in some way. And those are two totally separate markets. And I think uh, a lot of people don't like appreciate the subtlety there, but with Bitcoin's issuance policy, effectively, it's moving from a security model that is you know, strengthened by its you know digital scarcity meme value to one that is solely based on block space demand um, and i don't think that block space demand right now is its core strength uh, and you know the ethereum network is like you know four years old and, and bitcoin's 11 years old but but even even now uh, ethereum is coming fairly close to bitcoin in terms of raw block space demand, like minor revenue that comes you know, from block space demand in, um, in Ethereum is, is kind of closing in on, on Bitcoin. Uh, and because Ethereum is a you know, poly asset network, because you can you know, do so much more with, with Ethereum blocks than you can with, with Bitcoin, you know, Ethereum might have and probably will have a more robust block space uh, demand market. Um, so it wouldn't be as much of an issue for Ethereum to switch um, its security mo uh, model from you know, pure uh, issuance to block space demand. But for Bitcoin to do it, it, it just seems um, like foolhardy. And it's going to happen. 
right? So whether whether that happens, whether it starts to really impact Bitcoin security in, in six years or 12 years or, you know, 18, um, it's absolutely uh, going to happen. And it's, I don't think it will cause the Bitcoin network to, you know, completely fall apart, of course. But what could happen is it could lose its reign as the number one defending champ, most secure network to, to another network that has a different uh, security model. So that's like my concern for, for Bitcoin. Um, and, I, you know, unless you do something like add uh, issue, I mean, a simple fix to this would be you add 1% annual issuance to um, Bitcoin's supply schedule in perpetuity. But like Christian, I mean, you tell me if you did something like that, what would like what would happen to the Bitcoin community? My perception is it could cause a massive fracture. There would be a massive debate. It would be like a really big deal to try to do that. Some people would even say it's, it's no longer Bitcoin. Um, I mean, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, like first and foremost, I feel like the scenario you paint it just doesn't make any sense to me. So you kind of paint this horrifying scenario. But I'm curious, like, what price is Bitcoin at at that time, right? Because it either that Bitcoin's like you either painting scenario where Bitcoin's blocks are not being used at all, but Bitcoin's price is extremely high, or Bitcoin's blocks are not being used at all and Bitcoin's price is extremely low. So if Bitcoin's price is low, like Eric kind of painted, then of course Bitcoin security is at jeopardy. It's also not useful and no one gives a shit about it. Like we're moving on. That's that's kind of end of story. But in the case that Bitcoin's price is extremely high, I just don't see a world where Bitcoin's price is extremely high and people don't want to use the blocks more than they are already right now, right? Bitcoin has very full blocks, almost every single block right now. Like if Bitcoin is extremely, extremely relevant, I just don't see a world where the blocks are not being used. And then on top of that, if Bitcoin's price is extremely high, then like Eric said in his proof of hopium scenario, Bitcoin's block reward is still like satisfying a massive, massive security budget. So I don't really like, okay, if Bitcoin's price is really low and there's no demand for block space, it's fucking dead. Okay, you've painted the death scenario. But in the other case, like where Bitcoin's price is really high, then, you know, this kind of like death scenario doesn't make any sense to me. Like I don't see a world where Bitcoin's price is really high because it's this store of value. But at the same time, no one wants the the blocks. Like it, you know, it's too crowded. No one goes there. Like that's not a, like... It's, it's not something that really exists, but um, that's just kind of like my response to the scenario that I always hear you paint. It just makes sense. One thing I would just say on that is I, I don't actually think the network is going to completely like collapse. Like that's not the scenario I would paint. Um, the scenario I would paint is that it loses its status as the most secure network versus a competing chain that has a different approach. Um, I mean, that to me sounds, it seems like a, a much more like realistic scenario. Um, in, in particular, so if it's I th- going I think up this against- jumps in, Sorry to interrupt. I think this does kind of jump into a core mental model difference between us is that this idea of like, uh, this has, these assets have to have extra utility on top of it. I think this is a good segue into kind of like this topic of like, how does Ether, how does Ethereum like create more of this utility to, you know, compete with Bitcoin in terms of, block space demand and stuff like that. Um, Ethereum does have an advantage, it appears to me, in terms of, of block space demand, right? Um, even, even now, as I said, um, 
you know, Ethereum block space uh, is is coming up on on Bitcoin block space in terms of raw demand, and th there's just more you could do do with it. Um, we've we see things like assets like Tether uh, moving from Bitcoin and Omni moving f to uh, Ethereum. Um, that's uh, you know increase in 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 block space demand on Ethereum at the cost of block space demand on on Bitcoin. And Bitcoin uh, for now, you know, the Bitcoin community. Uh, at least seems fine with this, but um, and it's fine now because Bitcoin's security model is a purely issuance based. So again, it's bolstered and supported by the value of a, of a Bitcoin, right? Which is Bitcoin's core strength. But as it moves, and again, this doesn't happen overnight. This happens gradually every four years. A issuance having is also a uh, a security subsidy happening effectively. So every four years that gets cut in half and Bitcoin becomes more dependent on uh, block-based demand. And Ethereum is taking a different approach where it is making it, its network, its block space um, extremely useful. And to the extent a network does that, uh, provides more utility, um, it can, um, effectively potentially take the seat from a network like Bitcoin um, you know in terms of higher higher security um, and then when you combine that with something like EIP 15 uh, 59 which effectively takes all of the block space demand and um, burns that uh, all of the transaction fees and actually burns that then Ethereum becomes a network that can actually provide uh, potentially lower issuance uh, than Bitcoin with, with, with higher security. Uh, so it, it just seems that, uh, not that Bitcoin is going to fall apart, of course, but um, that it could be usurped by a network like Ethereum that is providing more utility in its block space, generating more transaction fees, taking all of those transaction fees, burning them to lower issuance, and then suddenly Ether becomes a lower issuance, higher store of value, and kind of the, the scarcity meme that Bitcoin starts to collapse. Unless they start to, like Bitcoin adds issuance back into perpetual issuance into its supply schedule, but if you do that, then you're, you're sacrificing, um, you know, the, the, the scarcity meme as well. So I just feel like the Bitcoin community um, maybe hasn't played out that scenario enough to to see where the flaws are and and um, to see where you know another network might be able to take its its throne as as the most secure network. So a little bit of what Christian was getting at with this whole like uh, ether providing utility to it as money versus uh, Bitcoin, which has no utility except for the utility of being money, which is basically like liquidity. Uh, and so, you know, Ether's value prop as money depends on being able to do things in Ethereum and Bitcoin's value prop as money is go up in price, be more liquid. Um, except the, the, where I see this kind of fall through is that um, Bitcoin is known to, is, or is, is supposed to be this value, this, a perfectly scarce asset can't be any scarcer can't be any harder 
and it's, its velocity specifically is supposed to be very, very low. It's got a, a velocity that's even lower than, than the US dollar. Um, and so, and Bitcoin had this identity crisis in back in 2017, where it asked itself, like, is Bitcoin a payment mechanism or is it a store of value? Uh, and then we had the, the fork between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin. And it seems like the Bitcoin identity is much more a store of value than it is a payment rails. And so like, I kind of see Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin split in the same way I see MKR and DAI split because MKR and DAI are the same system, but one's the payment rail and one's the store of value, except what Ethereum enabled a maker to do was to able to do that with aligned incentives rather than disaligned incentives. And so what, what I think Ryan was saying earlier is that the fundamental value proposition of Bitcoin is to be a scarce asset, isn't necessarily to be to pay the miners for security. And so to Christian, to use one of the terms that I, I frequently hear you use is uh, Bitcoin doesn't live in a bubble. And so there are all of these alternatives that provide utility and even provide utility to BTC, which is Lightning Network. Uh, and like maybe you want to use Bitcoin Cash as a payment rail network uh, to use your term of using altcoins as a way to scale Bitcoin. But then also we have potential vehicles like TBTC. So in the future, there are all of these vehicles that can take away um, demand for Bitcoin blocks, uh, um, block space and put them elsewhere, either on Ethereum or on the Lightning Network. Eric, your turn. You've been patiently waiting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess I'll just... So I, I have a couple potentially controversial comments. I, I think I would say first, um, I don't think Ethereum or Bitcoin will reach the mainstream adoption or price that a lot of us are hoping for unless we scale. So I, I think if you don't plan to scale your current chain, it, you're just going to remain a niche market. So like, it's great that Bitcoin wants your to... L1 it. chain? Your L1, L1 chain, yeah, sorry. Um, you know, it's great that Bitcoin wants to be digital gold, but that's not a, like, why is block space going to fill up if you're just a digital gold, right? It's not like people are carrying around their gold every day, transacting at, at markets and at grocery stores and P2P. Like, you know, gold is not a P2P cash system. So I, I just don't really, the block space debate doesn't really add up to me when it comes to that. I mean, maybe if it was hyper- Blocks are already almost full though. Like, they're, like this is nothing. Yeah, but it's for trading though. Like all Bitcoin demand is trading. So people sending from exchanges to wallets, right? It's That's not fine. people actually- right. 10X that. Yeah, but I mean like- We're not that far <laughs> away from 10X. It's just like, okay, like, come on. What are the exponentials here? Like, are you comparing it to today? Fees are down like, I think, 90% probably from the peak. And fees was... are down a million percent compared to at the beginning when one Bitcoin was worth a cent. But I mean, like, you, what are you measuring it at? Are you measuring it in dollars? Are you measuring yeah, it in, in... What do miners okay. think about, right? Like profit yeah, they're, Okay, so, so fees are up big time. Yeah, I mean, but like you can't base your entire existence on price, right? So like when it comes to Ethereum, I think... No, 100% I wouldn't, disagree. I would, I will admit that Ethereum will be a failure in 20 years if it doesn't scale. And I'm totally willing to, I've said that online. I've said that on Twitter, many places. It will also fail if it's not extremely expensive. I'm pretty sure Ryan, Ryan agrees with that. Yeah, it has to be like, I totally agree with that, but there's gotta be a reason for it to be expensive. Right. And that's like universal adoption. So people using it as a new digital 
economy, decentralized finance economy, which is what we're trying to build, you need demand for that asset, right? There's not that, like how many people do you know that are just have gold in their closet? Like, <laughs> like tell me how many people you know, like there's no demand for that. I mean, it's a very small niche market. Like the market cap of gold is, I mean, yeah, you guys can have that, that's fine, but we're looking for a market cap of a much bigger market, the entire financial system, right? So, so question for all of you guys, do you think that, do you take the digital gold thing like literally? I don't, I see it as a, a additive to gold. Yeah, I guess it's like define your question. I, I think most Bitcoiners think that it's gonna be digital gold, but they don't realize how small the gold market actually is. I mean, well, that doesn't define what Bitcoin is. But like, do you take the digital gold meme literally? Do you think like we're going after the gold market? Like Ryan, what do you think? I actually think that ETH is a better digital gold than Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> so we, we, we know you think why. that. So, <laughs> no, 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 but here's the reason why, right? So um, gold has a utility, right? So um, gold can be used uh, in industry, uh, as an as a as a cons- consumable good, as a transformable good, it can also be used as jewelry. Um, Bitcoin does not have any utility. The purpose of, of Bitcoin is to be money. The purpose of the Bitcoin network is to transfer Bitcoin. Um, you know, I, I made this comment about Peter Schiff. He, he's like his big deal, his big issue with Bitcoin. So he says, is that um, it doesn't have any utility. Right, like, and he contrasts that with gold. I mean, I think Peter would like, like ether because ether has this base utility value uh, that it can kind of collapse to. Even if it lost all of its monetary uh, premium, you know, it still has a base utility value. And then you add monetary premium on top of that. You, you've actually often like stated that maker and ethereum is very uh, is very austrian um but uh, in in kind of austrian there people are split between this idea of like you need a commodity money and this idea where like you actually want a pure money and any commodity that we actually use as money distorts the like the monetary premium aspect and the monetary premium distorts the utility aspect Um, So this is something that I've actually been thinking about a lot. And I'm glad that you brought it up, Ryan, because I kind of disagree. Like, I I actually want a pure money. Like, I don't want something that is like a a utility thing that also doubles as money. I think that that is historically historically what's happened. Um, And I don't think that that necessarily is a necessary paradigm. Like, I think gold is really expensive because of its monetary, like its monetary features, not because of its like, electronic chip features and if gold lost its monetary value then its price would be way cheaper and we'd probably make a lot more electronics with the gold because it'd be cheaper because there wouldn't be the weight of the monetary premium um so i mean again like i know this is about eip 1559 and i don't want to derail that too much like this could just become an ether versus bitcoin debate yeah no but i do think that this is a good (laughs) good segue right because I think that, like, at least when I've been thinking about EIP-1559, like, I feel like it cements Ether as, like, a, almost like a commodity within its own system. And I think that it, it cements Ether into this, like, economic paradigm. And I don't necessarily even know if it's correct. Like, I don't, it doesn't necessarily uh, jive with my mental model. But, I mean, like, I'm just a pundit. I'm not even that smart. So, okay, but, but, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah, so here's the thing, Christian. So, so I should say, actually, Bitcoin does have 
a utility, right? Maybe I could kind of amend what I was saying a little bit. Bitcoin's utility is to pay for Bitcoin transactions on the network. That is its utility commodity value. The reason I kind of discount that is because it's somewhat, you know, self-referential, right? It's like, it's like you know, if, if Bitcoin isn't used as a money, then there's no need to actually pay for Bitcoin transactions, right? By the way, I, so right, I, I kind of discount just, that. I, but, but I, I want to just say that, Ryan, by the way, the Bitcoin community made fun of Ethereum yeah. for like four years of the, the oil meme, but really that's the entire use of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is literally just the oil for the, the Bitcoin community. So I just wanted to point that out. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me just give me this, give this uh, one analogy out. So like the, the way that governments and, and economies started, like the modern governments and economies is the governments made a bunch of money, printed it out of thin air, and then they put it out into the world. And they said to its, to its constituents, to its citizens, all right, uh, go find all that money because we're going to charge you taxes with it at the end of the year. And so then all these businesses and, and services and products get built so people can collect the money. I don't think that's taxes. how it happened. That's, that's how David Graeber cites it in his book, uh, Debt First 5,000 Years, which is also a contentious book, but just wanted to throw that out there. I think there is some sort of circularness. I mean, like, even recent history self- doesn't show that. But like there's always a, uh, there's between minting and issuing, like there's a long history of money, like, and there's debt as money, commodities well, as so money, sales as I- money. I don't even I don't even mind the self-referential part, right? Like that part totally makes sense to me. I think like money is a meme and you know economies are all self-referential and you know at the end of the day like you know all of the all of the stuff it's just like memes all the way down. But the, but the part that you were saying, you know, uh, Christian is like okay, so uh, um the the problem with Bitcoin secure, going back to security model, right? The, the problem with Bitcoin security model is that eventually it becomes totally dependent on its utility value. Moving Bitcoin around the network and paying for that block space, essentially at, at some stage when issuance drops to near zero, in the Bitcoin network, then, then Bitcoin security model becomes wholly dependent on effectively its utility value it's like it's like commodity value not its store value so like so that's what doesn't make sense to me like gold is completely different gold does not have a like a fed wire transaction network built in gold was like forged in you know a, a star in the center of a star and it's in a supernova explosion and it's like chemically bonded that's its security model. Bitcoin is different. And like, I would, I would, I would actually be way more bullish on Bitcoin, to be honest, Christian, if it had a 1% issuance in perpetuity, right? Like if it was like block happening, like happening every four years, happening every four years, and then it drops to 1%. Like, I feel like if, if Bitcoin just implemented that, you could totally slay my argument like right now and just just like that would be the mic drop and this podcast would be over like and pov crypto would be over and christian would win like like way, that's it, all it, you guys have work to so it can't be one percent it has to be at least like four you guys i want to tell you about our newest sponsor celsius.network Celsius is a really cool application for both lending out your cryptocurrency as well as taking out loans or collateralized uh, loans. 
for your cryptocurrency, right? So you either collateralize it and take out stable coins or you can lend it out and get interest on your crypto in their savings accounts. They have pretty much every mainstream crypto you can think of. They support it. They support Bitcoin. They support Ethereum. They support every single stable coin. And they have the absolute best rates on stable coins. It's actually really impressive. Like if you have stable coins, this destroys any sort of like a bank account or anything like that. And the reason why they can get you close to 10% on your stable coins is because they are trying to be a new kind of financial institution with 80% profit sharing and really, really small margins. They are trying to make it as easy as possible. Totally. Uh, the, the rates are, are pretty incredible. I feel like these are these guys are the finance of borrowing lending platforms just because they accept so many different coins. Uh, Ethereum, Ripple, Bitcoin Cash, Zcash, ZeroX, Dash, Stellar, Paxos, uh, Hong Kong Dollar, Australian Dollar, EOS. Like they, they've got it all uh, and, and their rates are pretty insane. So over 8% on USDC right now, 3.75% uh, on Ether, uh, eight, eight, over 8% on Maker, uh, on DAI. Uh, so these rates are all pretty high, higher than, than the DeFi rate right now. So if you guys want to trade your contract risk for centralization risk and get two more percent on your DAI or USDC, Celsius Network is probably the place for you. And if you use promo code POV after you sign up, you can get $10 of BTC when you make a deposit of 200 or more. So if you're going to do it, make sure to get that $10 of BTC with promo code POV. Next up, I want to tell you guys about Bitcoin 2020. Bitcoin 2020, of course, is a conference that is put on by myself and the Bitcoin Magazine team. Getting really excited about this event, we just announced Tony Hawk as our second speaker. Uh, the speaker we announced before that was Nick Zabo. We're trying to change it up, make sure that we have, you know, we kind of uh, differ from the usual crew. Uh, so Bitcoin 2020, we're trying to keep it interesting. We're also keeping it interesting with a complete festival vibe. Anyone that went to Bitcoin 2019 will attest to how much fun it was. Use promo code POV for, I believe it's 25% off your ticket, which are, is already super cheap. But yeah, POV at checkout. Get that 25% off. Make sure to go to the best Bitcoin event of 2020 in March in San Francisco. Make sure to go to Bitcoin2020conference.com. So, <laughs> look, look he, he, here's the here's the reason Satoshi didn't put a a uh, a monetary policy other than you know just having having until it's done. It's because there's no right monetary policy. There is no right monetary policy, and there's always going to be subjectivity around that. And I predict there's going to be a lot of contention in Ethereum in the future if monetary policy remains something that is not governed strictly by code. And even when it does, there will be fud about it. Nothing's um, governed by code, though. Nothing like the, okay, the well, tomorrow could decide to fork. Like it's all a social contract. Like nothing. Well, yes and all. yes and no. Like I, I I do think that it's like it's it's not that clean. But uh, I mean, again, like Ryan, I I just disagree with with your statement, and I think it's not going to age well at all. But in regard, like regardless, like I really do think that if Bitcoin is a store of value, there will be need to transfer it there's really not that much block space. Like you're making it like this. Seems like there's this infinite block space that needs to be filled. There's only one fucking megabyte. Two years ago, there was a massive fight about how we don't have enough space to do what we need to do in such a small portion of, of the planet, right? So 
I mean, unless Bitcoin second layers scale so successfully and Bitcoin is so, is so expensive and we find a way to never use blocks, like, or, or Bitcoin just not, is just not relevant. Like, I just don't, like, if Bitcoin's not relevant, it's not relevant. You're right. Okay, you won. Like, I just don't know what to say. Like, I just don't see this in, in between scenario where Bitcoin, like, dies slowly or just becomes, uh, you know, the second fiddle, but somewhat is relevant. It's just going to become completely irrelevant. So I actually agree with, well, maybe I don't agree with Christian, but Ryan, I actually disagree with the 1% is more bullish for Bitcoin because adding inflation onto a proof of work system is bad because proof of work is already inherently uh, based off of economies of scale. And so if you add on that 1% that in that as on that senior age that Bitcoiners are so avidly trying to eliminate. So when you mix together inflation or, or additional issuance upon the system that operates with economies of scale, that's, that sounds like centralization of wealth. And that's why I, I really like proof of stake with a 32 ETH minimum, which is pretty low. That's the reason why we can issue new ether and not have this be an issue of uh, seniorage for stakeholders for the initial stakeholders is because of the low requirement to staking both the low requirement of ether and the low requirement of hardware that reduces Ethe uh, ethereum's economy of scale to just a linear line like you if you have 320 ether you get 10 times as much as somebody with 32 ether so i actually don't think the one percent on bitcoin would would work that well specifically because of the consensus yeah no i i get i get what you're saying right so i think a proof of stake network in the way ethereum's going again if it implements fully it it will have and it could have a lower issuance than bitcoin even like four years time uh ethereum's issuance could be lower but here's the question i kind of ask myself right when it when it comes to a monetary premium and like a money meme and a store of value meme which of these two things is more important? The lowest possible issuance as one or predictability of monetary policy and supply as the second? Which of those is more important in establishing the meme, right? I'm not sure that it's one. I'm not sure that it's actual lowest issuance, which is kind of an argument in favor of, of Bitcoin's uh, monetary policy. It's like, you know, you do know We're what going it is. to zero, but it's we can still go lower on ETH. That's you have it all, baby. Bitcoin's going to zero, zero issuance is going to die, but ETH is going to go lower and it's going to be fine. I was going to say, more utility. proof of stake lets us go negative. So I, that's the best of both worlds right there. I feel like I'm arguing with you guys. So I know I don't like, I don't know how we want to conduct this podcast. Do we want just me <laughs> arguing with you guys? Like we could, I've, put, do I've put you in a number of, or you've put me in a number of two on one situations. And now I've put you on a three on one just to, <laughs> just to get back at you. I mean, it's pretty enjoyable. I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> we can change it up if you want. Like I, I just like, I, I'm totally down to just everything Ryan says, say disagree. Like I could do that. And then right, and then there, no, I'll, I'll, I'll take like so, okay. <laughs> so I'll take Christian's side on on one thing. So so let me take the Bitcoin side, right? Against Ethereum on this. So maybe maybe lowest issuance, maybe lowest issuance isn't actually the thing that matters most for a money meme. Maybe predictability is, right? And like, what you know, Bitcoin's uh, issuance schedule you know, for the, for the next 50, 100 years, right? You don't know Ethereum's. And maybe that is more important in establishing a store of value money, right? Like, 
we can't map out exactly whether Ethereum's issuance is going to be, you know, 1% or, you know, half a percent or, or in the negative territory in the next like 10 to 20 years, but we know exactly what Bitcoins is. And maybe that is a factor that is actually like, you know, should be weighted more highly by the Ethereum community. How's yeah, that, Christian? I, I mean, I think it's like the mechanism of how you get there, right? So I actually strongly disagree with Christian in saying that um, the monetary policy and issuance is run by code. I don't agree with that at all. I, I think, so first of all, Ethereum has proven right or wrong that that's not true, right? You can lower it. Yes, it's, I'll admit it's probably much harder to change Bitcoin's monetary policy than it is Ethereum's, which, okay, that I'll, I'll give you a plus on that potentially. But I think it's more the mechanism of how you get there. So in saying that, it's important to think about, like I think the one thing the Bitcoin community doesn't realize about Ethereum is that we've always had the idea of proof of stake in the back of our heads. Like we've always known we're going to get to this point, right? Like proof of work has always been this bridge between the presale and getting a proof of stake. So I, I think that's one thing people really forget about. Um, it's actually been pretty beautiful as far as the distribution of wealth in Ethereum. Like, you know, if you just had the pre-sale, like we're seeing with like VC chains and you went straight to proof of work, that's a problem. So I, I think it's been a benefit, but- Proof of stake. We've always, yeah, yeah, proof of stake. But we've always had this like- Proof idea. of work is good for distribution. It's very exactly. fair. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, I, I think this has been a good transition for us, but the idea has always been we can get to near zero issuance, you know, and I agree. Maybe some people don't like that idea of near zero. Yes, it could be like a little below, it could be above, but, you know, that's what the Ethereum community just decided upon. And I think people can kind of pick their poison when it comes to these two. But I, I think it's important like the mechanisms of how you get there and and just the fact that the Ethereum community is known they're going to make this transition eventually and get here. Yes, we're not there yet. And, you know, we've gone from five to three to two on the block rewards. And that's one of the funnier things I think about. Like, I don't really think it's about the predictability. I think it's just getting close to zero and having security. I actually don't know why the you know, Ethereum community has been attacked for the changes in policy when it's never gone up, right? Like that's that's a pretty important factor when it comes to this. We've always just kind of been like, hey, look, you know, we did an analysis. We think we can lower it a little bit. Let's get a little bit closer to zero. And I think proof of stake will just finally kind of get us to that point. But, you know, I I can see the points in both camps again. Like, uh, again, like I said at the start, I, I still think there's a place for a proof of work and a proof of stake chain. You know, uh, it's my personal opinion that with scaling and like DeFi and the and the ways that Ethereum's going about it, I think the potential is much larger. I I will admit on the Bitcoin side, it's a little safer of a narrative and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's just how the two have positioned themselves. David, do you want to chip in? Should I chip in? <sighs> yeah, the only thing I really disagree with what actually with, with what Eric said is that uh, Bitcoin's monetary policy is is. Um, subjective. Uh, I mean, I guess at some point humans have to choose it, which by definition makes it subjective. But like the shelling point that I think Bitcoin has chosen is, is zero. Zero is zero is like how you have, if you want anything other than zero, you have to make a case for why uh, it should be that number. And I think the, the Bitcoin objective way to do this is like, we don't know what it should be. So let's just not choose a number. What's a number that's not really a number? Zero. And so I feel like that's, that's how they took all human out of it. Does that ring true, Christian? So here, here's my take. 
my take is that it is not zero, that that is a misunderstanding. I think that if Bitcoin is relevant uh, and you take into account the price inelasticity of how many Bitcoins there are versus how many people could want to hold a digital store of value that's extremely liquid, then um, we are going to see the price go up a lot. And the actual buying power of the block reward is going to be a lot more than we can think about. And even when it's getting to very low in BTC terms, we don't know what that buying power is going to be. So I think that this assumption that it's going to be 100% fee driven is not 100% true. Like, let's just say, okay, let's say this dream scenario, Bitcoin is the world money, right? Like, how much buying power per BTC is that going to be? And then you can extrapolate that to, you know, where's the block, like, what's the buying power of the block reward in 50 years, if that's the scenario? Like, again, that is a dream scenario. But if that's the scenario, like, Bitcoin security is not driven by any means strictly by fees. It's very much paid for by a very, very, you know, expensive and, and power, powerful block reward. The fees on top of that might be huge. And people will argue that fee, uh, transaction with fees actually are more censorship resistant than a block reward because you can whitelist someone or blacklist someone and then still get the block reward. But if you blacklist someone, you will not get a fee, right? So if you have a system that's more fee driven, then potentially that's more, uh, then potentially that's more censorship resistant. Hasu actually said that he found that not to be the case. He also argued that higher price brings higher uh, need to attack. Um, and therefore, we shouldn't take it into account in his analysis. Again, I would disagree with that strongly. I think that higher price also brings higher importance, brings higher uh, reason for someone to want to protect it versus higher security, higher brand awareness, more distributed uh, users and across the globe. So making it more robust. I think that there's exponentials here that are not being, not being taken into account. Like price is very, very important. And whenever anyone says that price is not important in how these systems are play out, or we should think about it, you know, outside of price, I don't think that their assessments are realistic whatsoever. Like price is extremely important. What we expect the price to be in the future is extremely important. So if you're bearish on Bitcoin, of course, the security model is fucked. If you're bullish on Bitcoin, for whatever reason you want to be bullish on it, I, I don't think the security model is, has any issues whatsoever. So, I mean, that's kind of my general take on it. Again, like I have an ETH bag. Like I like that ETH is diversified against Bitcoin. My ETH bag is way, way smaller than my Bitcoin bag. My whole situation is I'm trying to set myself up to win. And I think that Bitcoin is super bullish. I think that its security model is in nowhere in jeopardy, especially because there's this chance that it could be this sovereign store value that's extremely liquid. And again, I disagree with Ryan. I think that if ETH is a good money, there's going to be literally no block space for any other transaction other than sending ETH back and forth because people are going to want that really good money and it's going to be really fucking expensive to get that block space. I don't think that block space is supposed to be elastic. Uh, and I think that that's going to be the case for Bitcoin too. So here's, here, here, here's another thing, Christian. So in, in the world of Bitcoin, who's actually purchasing that block space, you know, like 10, 15, 20 years from now? Again, like, let's just put like, let's like try to get in into this idea of like, there's inelastic block space and inelastic amount of Bitcoins, and there's very elastic amount of people. 
So even like again, he, if Bitcoin is not relevant, then whatever. But even if we have 10 times more people using Bitcoin, there's going to be no fucking block space. But here's Unless the thing. They scale so amazingly. You're saying people, but like in that world where block space is super scarce and super rare, uh, the only people who are going to be able to afford block space and actual transactions on the Bitcoin network are ultra high net worth individuals and crypto banks. It'll be, it'll, it's like Nick Carter calls it kind of the, the container model, right? So you're going to have to like shove all of these transactions from the second layer. And by second layer, I mean like generally crypto banks, Coinbase, Binance, BitMEX. You have to take all of those transactions and you're going to, you know, shove them into the block space and you have to pay a lot for them. If you're like the mom and pop crypto user, just trying to, if I'm just trying to give you Bitcoin, I, like, I can't afford to pay $500, you know, to give you a, t- a ten, $10 worth of, of Bitcoin, right? But, like that's another problem with not scaling the, the base layer is block space becomes reserved. It becomes gentrified, essentially. It becomes reserved for big crypto banks and, and high net worth individuals, right? And that's not a decentralized world. That's like depending on the crypto bank layer and a you know, custodial world to scale things out. That's another you know, problem I guess I have with, with the Bitcoin ethos in, in not wanting to scale that base layer. Yeah. So I would love to like hear what Eric, since he's kind of deeper in like the actual technicals thinks like the future of Ethereum is going to look like in terms of demand for block space. And if Joe Schmo is going to be able to interact on the blockchain personally, for me, I think that you, you're, you are making like uh, a call towards you're, you're, you're appealing towards people's sympathy and it does, it's completely irrelevant really people like in that horrible scenario that you're painting, there is still a sound money system that is free of government printing of money that is going to put people in a much more equi- equitable world. So even in that scenario, we have improved a lot. Number two, like, again, it, it surprises me how uncreative you are when it comes to like thinking of like the future of scaling. Like we have no idea what the future of scaling holds. I think it's very, very early on for both Ethereum and Bitcoin scaling. And it's way too early to just say, it's gonna be banks, it's gonna be banks. So I just think it's just not creative at all. Um, But I mean, I would love to hear like, is ETH gonna have like anyone can transact on chain? Like I really just don't like see that being the future of ETH. I think like my, my vision of like a blockchain is that like, it's gonna be hard to transact on the base layer. Like the world is not gonna transact on that directly. So there's a lot to unpack there. I guess I would say, first of all, I don't think the vision you just painted for Bitcoin's future is anything in the relevancy of what uh, the Ethereum community expects for the future. So um, I guess first I would say, yes, there is a painted picture for how Ethereum plans to scale. And I would agree with you. There's no picture for how Bitcoin plans to scale. Um, If we're talking sharding, we're going to get a thousand times the scaling ideally once each two phase two launches um so all of a sudden you're explaining expanding the block space available there um there's still layer two solutions hopefully coming online and i'll reiterate i'm not one to back up from this i think if ethereum doesn't scale and this holds for bitcoin too and this is why i flipped all my bitcoin for ethereum back in the day um wait you're no coiner 
No, I have I hold either. I have no Bitcoin, no Bitcoin. No, uh, no coiner but, is originally meant for someone who owns no Bitcoin. So well, technically, yeah, from the uh, perspective of a Bitcoiner, Bitcoin is just a meme now. So it's fine. <laughs> um, but oh, man, I think if neither of these scale, it's a I hope failure. you made a lot of money. <laughs> if neither of these scale, it's just a failure. Like I fully agree. Do you with also that. mean with fees as well, like scaling fees down, fees come cheaper? Is that are you including that in yeah, scale? Yeah, exactly. Like we uh, there so was the a cash vision. Out. Lots of scale, low fees. Yes and no. Like Bcash has no plan for actually scaling. Uh, anybody can increase the Okay, I'll size. give you that. Like, I, <laughs> we actually have like dedicated people researching and making money to do this research and development, right? Like Ethereum wants to scale out so the fees go down and you can, you know, bring more people on chain. Like that's the vision I believe in. That's the vision most of the Ethereum community believes in. I'm not a believer that you know, uh, what basically what Ryan just said, you're going to squeeze out, you know, anybody that wants to make a legitimate Bitcoin trade. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think I'm squeezing people out from sound money, maybe squeezing out from the base layer, but, but like how, I'm how not expect, operating on TCIP. I mean, how do you expect um, a worldwide currency to exist when it costs a hundred dollars to even get into a block? Like, I don't get that. Like it, yes, maybe if Bitcoin was truly trying to develop, to develop scaling solutions but they're not like lightning network's just a meme like we we can all agree to that at this point right like I, there's no way that lightning network you might be in a bubble i mean <laughs> like everyone's in a bubble but you definitely might be in a bubble have you used it lightning network yeah yeah i have a, i have a node i have several apps on my phone all right well that's all the power to you guys i, I just yeah, no, he, he's bought my beer with lightning before that's, that's <laughs> i haven't seen any de- i personally haven't seen developments or like growth in the lightning network in the last year i if how bitcoin do you measure was, growth in lightning network channel lockup like that's how you transact on it right like, you, you realize it. that lightning network is on all nodes or default to private channels yeah, and yeah, almost I all i mean like it's true like when this okay, is so me. how often this do you change me. the default setting on <laughs> your is, app this is how me. often I'm do so you change tired. the default setting on your app i've tweeted about this so many times i'm so tired of hearing this argument like there's no way you can tell me that lightning network's actually growing when everyone just says oh they're just private channels like i don't buy it i just don't buy it Okay, I mean, there's no way to tell me that Zcash is growing or um, Monero's growing or any of those private things either. Uh, anyways, Bitcoin Lightning is not-, is not a blockchain. I mean, it's just like it seems interesting that you're you on, you think you're that on way. Both sides here. You're telling me that block space is going to be in demand and that price has to go up per block, and then you're also telling me that Lightning is going to take off. Like none of this is adding up, right? And this is the Bitcoin problem. No, I I'm think- just saying that there's multiple ways that Bitcoin's going to scale, and we don't know what it's going to be like. We don't think it's, I don't know if it's going to be a bank. I don't know if it's going to be sharding. I don't know what it's going to be like. Yeah. But Christian, what, besi- what besides lightning, like what other avenue besides crypto banks and lightning is Bitcoin pursuing for scalability? I mean, lightning came out like two years ago. We have no idea what the future holds. And to be honest, like if Bitcoin was on Visa, right? Like Bitcoin could go on Visa right now and that would give it ma- massive throughput. Like throughput is not an issue. Like, like, and you, you've said this How in other interviews that- Dude, the Visa network can represent anything. It's completely custodial. Yeah, um, so anything can be custodial. <laughs> like okay, general. well, I mean, you're using you're using uh, Coinbase on your your shop, right? Like custodial. There's a purpose for custodial and centralized solutions. But this is again, why, like, that is a media. Medi- like again, it's, I'm just saying we don't know what's there in the future. You yourself and other podcasts have said that, um, fo- like blockchains, VC chains are focusing on throughput and scale and scaling are kind of missing the money aspect of it. 
And I'm just saying the same thing as you. I'm saying that this like argument on like, hey, we got to scale this kind of right now over like we need to be an SOV is uh, is missing the point right now. Yeah. So, but but okay. So here, here's what I worry about what Bitcoin, right? So, you know, let's, let's say talk about what we worry about with ETH. In okay, but I, I have tons of worries about ETH. <laughs> we should do a podcast on that where it's like just like all of like laid bare all my worries about eth all mm. of our collective worries but, i would listen i would listen okay. to it but let, all right, I, so, I, so I, I always interrupt time. i'm sorry another time so okay um if we if we only achieve like a peer-to-peer transaction network for crypto banks essentially and large high net worth individuals i'll grant that we have achieved a world potentially of sound money, right? Of like like non-government control of monetary policy, right? Like that's but that's half, that's half the vision, man. Like in fact, that's kind of a like that's almost like the shittier half of the vision. That's like gold standard 2, 2.0. And like we've had that before. And what happened? The banks took control. The banks became the Fed. They consolidated. Uh, this we're is back your, to the this is your system. always. This is your normal straw man. Like you can listen to ten podcasts of you, and this is your typical straw man. I just, I, I just don't think it's creative to think that we're gonna just have banks with Bitcoin. Like I just think that the world is going to change a lot. We have no idea what's coming to the future. We have no idea what scaling. Well, uh, let, let him finish there in the future. First. It could be centralized or decentralized. I mean, you can listen to a bunch of other Ryan Sean Adams arguments. You've said this on our podcast before. I think listen to episode 40, whatever. Like, it, it's just a straw man, man. Like, I it's just not don't think a straw it's a strong... man. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fundamental difference between the networks in the, in the past that they're going down, right? So, like, I, I would be really excited. I would be much more excited about Bitcoin if there was a scalability solution in place. So, when that time comes, Christian, like, when there's something besides crypto banks to scale out a non-custodial decentralized, you know, like solution. Cause, cause lightning is not it, you know, to me, but like I mean, if, if that happens on Bitcoin, then I'm super excited. Like I just, they're not running enough experiments. There's not enough innovation. There's more interest, I think in the culture to create a store of value and a replacement for central banks. And there's, some apathy around okay if the if the crypto banks essentially kind of run the transaction network layer then that's kind of fine right i i think that's a that's like the 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 typical position in the bitcoin community like i don't think that's I, I, don't, I don't think the position of people on twitter is the position of bitcoin like i think i don't think that you would agree with the same for ethereum would you say the same for ethereum <sighs> I would say that that is a distinction in Ethereum, that because Ethereum is trying to scale out its base layer, you know, it doesn't have to just scale with, with, with crypto banks. I think, I think Bitcoin's only shot at scaling outside of crypto banks right now is lightning. Like, that's it. That's the only bullet in the chamber. And if that doesn't work, I'm not seeing anything else on the horizon that, that might work. So if that changes, like, again, I'm super excited. I'm just, I'm not seeing anything beyond that. And both Ethereum and Bitcoin can be successful in these regards where Bitcoin is this, this crypto bank system and Ethereum is this open finance system. 
to me, it's just like, well, what, what's the, what are the people going to want to use? Like, are the people going to want to use dye that costs them like between zero and five pennies to send? Or are they going to use Bitcoin, which costs them between zero and $5 or $50 to, to send? Uh, and it's just like, it's just going to be more conducive to what the people want. And ultimately, the, the power of who chooses the money is like going to be casher. in the hands of the people. Well, so maybe you, should, maybe you should listen to them. Like there's a reason why Bitcoin had to fork into a payment rail chain and a store of value chain. And the thing with Ethereum is like we have these systems that can keep those. Most people have plenty of things to transact with. They have no sound investment. So like this, this is kind of where I, I get a, a criticism for the Bitcoin community about, about not being creative. Like, cool, we disintermediated money, but like we also have the technology, this blockchain technology and blockchain is not a meme. It's a real piece of technology that's meant for more things other than moving Bitcoins. And it can do this, all this other disintermediate, disintermediating thing. So like the scripting language can disintermediate gold and be the reserve asset of the world. And the, the solidity and, and EWASM can be a language that can disintermediate literally everything else. And so I don't get why the value proposition stops at saying like, hey, let's disintermediate the, the money system. Let's keep on going and see where we, can, where we can go with this. Yeah, I don't get that either. Like, I guess I'll post this to you, Christian, even though I'm not the host of this podcast. Like, <laughs> like what is the difference to you in Bitcoin and Ether? Like, why? Because to me, there's literally no difference except like the assets themselves, right? We could talk about the Ethereum network versus the Bitcoin network, all we want, but the actual assets themselves, like the two communities just think they're different based on what? scarcity like to you the the 21 million cap is it is that like the difference because i mean they're both digital assets we can send to each other right now and, and pay each other in right <laughs> like, yeah so so is ripple so is eos like what makes these things special right i think i could ask you that question um i think that all of these assets have their own unique properties and some of the ones that bitcoin has happens to be you know this very fair and unknown launch uh, which is almost like a black swan. And again, like this is something that a lot of people in the Ethereum community have pushed against. But at the same time, I also see people in the Ethereum community embracing with like saying that this is why VC chains can't work anymore because they didn't have these equitable launches and that Ethereum had its own equitable launch and uh, equitable and like and fair mining uh, system, right? So I think that that aspect is important. And I think a lot of Ethereans also appreciate the, the value of an equitable launch um, Two is literally just the liquidity of the asset. Like when it comes to what makes money useful it is liquidity, liquidity equals utility, right? Everything else is like distraction as far as I'm concerned, right? And when you look at Bitcoin, like you could argue that Bitcoin is one of the second or third biggest currencies in terms of fiat trading pairs, right? So we're talking about Bitcoin to fiat. Like for most fiat, like if I want to go fiat to fiat, most of the time I have to go from my obscure fiat into USD and then into the other obscure fiat. But there's a, there's a lot of Bitcoin trading pairs. There's almost like, there's almost a Bitcoin trading pair for every like kind of like mid major currency, right? So like that type of like universal liquidity has a ton of utility. And uh, I mean, it's pretty clear that like Ethereum is not quite there yet. Um, I mean, on top of that, there's other aspects around its liquidity and uh, utility throughout the crypto ecosystem. So that's another ecosystem. 
um, where Bitcoin is kind of like gold and then Tether is kind of like silver. So I don't, again, I don't really see where Ethereum fits into that. Um, you guys do paint this world where Ether is going to surpass Bitcoin and other more liquid cryptos because of the utility of its network and what's happening on its network. If that's happening and like there's this second ecosystem on it that kind of springboards Ether, like maybe that can work. But I don't like I don't necessarily know if that like internal Ether, ether ecosystem is going to just kind of surpass Bitcoin's established roots in moneyness and liquidity globally, liquidity within the, the, the ecosystem. Like it's like doing the crypto asset thing that's supposed to do better than anyone else in terms of just being digital money on the internet. And it's being spread throughout scamming games where you have to like capture it. And it's like being the, you know, all the, those little like lolly or pie or any of those, like they're not giving away ether. They're giving away Bitcoin. So like, I mean, I just, I just see Bitcoin as that it's just going to keep propagating. And like, I don't necessarily see ether as doing the things that I want it, that I want to see it doing um, more competitively than Bitcoin. Granted, I just went on, on DeFi for the first time. So I'm living in my <laughs> own bubble. Um, so maybe I'm just going to get blindsided at the same time. I think there's a possibility that y'all might be in a bubble and y'all might get blindsided. I mean, we're all on bubble. So it's been my theory for years that if either passes Bitcoin and market cap, which it would probably pass it in liquidity at that point, that most Bitcoiners are going to capitulate. And it sounds like you might be on that, uh, <laughs> on that path there. So <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like always- I'm always trying to position myself in the best position, right? I'm, I'm like very conservative. Yeah, yes, I mean, I can like, for that. Bitcoin's the safe play right now. I don't, I don't deny that, but yeah, it's it's just always interesting to hear why people are on both sides. All right, guys, I think this is a good place to to wrap it up. Any last comments? Eat so what's uh, EIP one five nine nine one five five nine? Yeah, one five five nine. Wait, did you ask when it is? Like, when is it coming? No, what is it? I don't think we talked about it once. Yeah, we talked about it. If, if people, listeners of this podcast should know what it is, but Eric, you want to give us the, the, the quick down low? Yeah, sure. So I guess it's kind of been out there, I would say almost probably a year now, or Vitalik wrote the paper probably two years ago, but it's essentially an overhaul to how the fee market works on Ethereum. So right now you kind of have a first price auction. So say demand spikes on Ethereum, right? You don't know what the people you're you're bidding for space in the next block right so you don't know what people are going to bid so even though last block could have been one way to get in it might be 50 now you just don't know so people are going to kind of because there's so much misinformation there people are going to overbid what they should so historically in times of like demand in ethereum you see like 70 to 90 percent overpay in fees versus what you actually would have needed to pay to get in a block and you know obviously pretty much the Ethereum and Bitcoin uh, fee markets work exactly the same. Actually, pretty much any blockchain works like that. So essentially, it's an overhaul of that where block space or in Ethereum land, um, like block uh, gas limit adjusts based on demand of the network. And then so basically, if there's more demand, the next block, the fee is going to go up and the, the network's going to calculate this, go up and you know then hopefully the demand will kind of be offset by that and it'll target this kind of 
block gas limit. So anyways, probably getting too technical, but at the end of the day, it's going to make gas prices predictable on Ethereum. And then probably just as important, like that's a huge UX problem, right? Like people load up MetaMask and have to type in a gas price and guess how to get in. That's just not good user experience for mass adoption. So that's a big benefit. But then also the fee, the base fee that this is calculating is going to cost to get into block is going to be burned. So yeah, like we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, Ethereum or Ether is basically being cemented kind of at the base layer. Because right now, technically on any proof of work chain, you could bribe a miner to accept any kind of payment to get into a block. You get to get your transaction to a block. Um, that's true on Ethereum as well. So this is gonna, the miners are gonna have to burn this base fee and you know that hopefully cements you know, Ether's money and the monetary policy side of things. And this is gonna be in proof of stake as well. So you know we're gonna, this is how we get down to this near zero issuance. So if we're paying, 0.5% to validators on a whole, you know, validator rewards would be 5% a network as a whole 0.5%. If we're burning fees as well, hopefully this gets down near zero. So that's a quick summary of one, five, five, nine. So is this getting re uh, released before proof of stake? So there's a proposal to go in any upcoming fork. So if samples coming up in a month, it's not going to be in there. The next fork is Berlin. Those are ETH1 forks. It's definitely going in ETH2 by default. I'm hoping there's a working group around this. It needs funding for testing and all that good stuff. And I guess one caveat is Vitalik just put out what he called skinny EIP1559. So it's one fifth the complexity. You kind of lose a little bit of efficiency. I'm actually a bigger fan of this because I think it's going to be an easier way to get it into ETH1. But um, I'm hoping skinny EIP1559 gets in maybe Berlin, which will be about six months from now seven months from now something like that christian cool. how did you like DeFi? <laughs> you, so my honest take was it was really cool um i was concerned by how many like confirmations i had to like do for everything but granted like i like did everything in one sitting like i minted die i went to compound like i just like did it all so maybe like that like maybe if i was just doing one thing it'd be fine you know He's talking about I don't like know. It was giving a cool permission experience. To, to like, he had to unlock die to, to trade it in Uniswap and, and stuff like that. So like doing transactions before you have to do transactions, stuff like that. Do yeah. you have to do that every time or no, I haven't got, so like forever, I don't have to unlock my die from, I mean wall. like, yeah, that's clean then. Like it's mm -hmm. fucking clean. And you can also bundle like, those up too. And yeah, I mean, I, I have no doubt that the UI is going to get better and better and fees will get abstracted but I have no doubt the same thing will happen with a lot of Bitcoin applications too. So we'll I'll set you up with an Argent wallet and then I'll send your minor revenue to your Argent wallet. Uh, I already have one. I just don't use it. Yeah. Ar fuck, Argent wallet? Fuck edge. Let's move over. Okay. <laughs> Might as well get that cutting edge bullshit, right? <laughs> we need right, to get guys. you uh, an ENS name, Christian. Yeah, we do. Want? I'm going to go buy yeah, that CK right Snarks. now. Let's go. Snarks. Can we do that? Yeah, let's go. I'll, I'll go buy it right now. Really? Yeah. Shit. Okay. If you buy me that, then I'll buy the the flippening shirt. <laughs> if, if the flippening ever happens, I wear it. But we got to come up with some like you know if, if we're doing this in five years and flippening hasn't happened, like I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like that's 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 one aren't year you, until doomsday. Aren't you already in trouble by like like betting Ethereans on stuff? Like, don't you have an outstanding bet with somebody about ETH two shipping? Yeah, zero, is, is yeah. Beacon Chain getting shipped before Q1, before the end of Q1? 
Okay, we'll see. For ten percent of a Bitcoin, gonna be close. Yeah. It is gonna be close. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like good bets. I like close bets. So we were talking at the very start of this podcast before we started recording, and I think it's a good note to end on. Um, but uh, Christian brought up about how Bitcoiners and Ethereum people actually, and crypto people at large, we we yell at each other on Twitter, but we actually agree much more than we disagree. And it's really only the disagreements that that we talk about. Uh, so my closing statements are that, like, I think that the the bullish case for both Bitcoin and Ethereum are likely going to happen in tandem, rather than like one chain failing to the other or just whatever. Uh, I don't, I, I don't like, like, I'm in, in agreement with Eric where I think these chains are generally non-competitive and maybe they'll be competitive now, but for years zero through twenty in the short term, in my opinion, these things are are going to skip into the crypto economic future. So I think that's going to be an, an exciting uh, vision, no matter what vision you have. Yeah, 100%. I mean, people don't know this, but I'm a Bitcoiner. <laughs> All here. of us except for Eric are Bitcoiners here. <laughs> hey, I started years ago. Like that was my jam. I was a huge mm-hmm. fan. And mm-hmm. I, I just, uh, I, but I know, I mean, I agree. I, I've, I've made it known many times. I think, yeah, like David said, we were kind of talking off off mic before, but I think there's this Christian. You said that like five percent difference that we all fight over. At the end of the day, we're kind of all chugging along for the same goal, and like, yeah, one of us might win. One of us has to win. We're never going to be equal, like as far as <laughs> price and market cap goes. But you know, I, I think we're very early in this technology. You know, we might even not even see in our lifetime, like how much this can flourish in all, in all honesty. So I, I think, you know, these are fun debates to have. And I, I think they strengthen both communities, to be honest. I think the Ethereum community has learned from the kind of Bitcoin side and Bitcoin's learned from Ethereum and it's going to continue to do that. 100%. All We're right. coming after your, your memes, Bitcoin. <laughs> oh yeah yeah i know y'all, y'all been copying them but they're open source memes so you can just fork them and take them we, and we, haze. we need two staking memes coming ryan and oh ryan. it's gonna yeah. be hot yeah world's not ready <laughs> dude I, I think the world is really ready we're we're, we're waiting for e2 patiently <laughs> well the memes come first yep Always. all right guys where where can people find you let's start with ryan uh find me on twitter at ryan s adams uh, also bankless so bankless.substack.com also rsa.eth ENS name yeah everyone definitely subscribe to Ryan's podcast or <laughs> newsletter it's, <laughs> it's great You're, I feel like you're close to starting a podcast so I've had in my mind it's the hot thing to do these days but everyone subscribe to Ryan's newsletter for sure yeah you can find me at, uh, at econoar E-C-O-N-O-A-R on Twitter and then also we run Ethub um, so ethub.io and we have the Into the Ether podcast and definitely shout out to all the gnosis products out there too so i would suggest everyone go download the gnosis safe it's kind of the go-to uh, smart contract wallet on ethereum so yeah just hit me up if you want to talk and it's been fun guys so tip of the hat to christian for managing the first three-on-one pov crypto episode this is the first time we've had three or two guests at once for a total of four people on the podcast so uh, to close it out, you guys can find me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. Christian? Yeah, you can find me at CK underscore Snarks. 
Uh, shout out to both Ryan and Eric. You guys are prolific content creators. So like I said at the beginning, much respect. Please, five-star review for the show. Only place you get these kind of debates. Seriously. That's very true. All right, thanks, guys. It's a fool